Well, guys, I'm, uh, I just flew in Monday night. I'm a little jet-lagged, but um, I really felt like I was, well, I don't know about Wade and his absolutely, but I just had this sense that I wanted to be here, <clears throat> that I needed to be here, and uh, I'm actually on my, uh, I'm on my, in five months, I'm on my fourth round of antibiotics, and I'm uh, on steroid pills because I'm on my, uh, my third uh, respiratory infection. Uh, so we're kind of going through what you've been going through. We... Um, we started several weeks ago uh, Monday night pushback prayer where we set up three groups around the city with leaders from the church and uh, none of us who are pastoral, Radu, Miniku, uh, Dave, our elder, are doing it because we're trying to raise some people up in the church and trying to raise the church up in prayer. And uh, as soon as we started to, to really push back at the devil, we, you know, the whole church is sick. So um, I take it as a good sign. It doesn't feel so good. But the good thing is while we were worshiping, I'm... I'm 100% better than when I walked in. Amen. So praise the Lord for that. If I, I may not sound good now, but, but it's much, much better. Uh, I do have a word, and it's, it's actually the word that I was thinking about for y'all, combined with a word that I've wanted to give for the last three times that I came and have never been able to. And even tonight, as we were trying to print the notes, that, that part of the notes would not print. I have a Mac computer, and it just wouldn't work on this... Eric has a superior Windows operating system. But luckily, the one that I needed the notes on, I have. The other one is in me, so it's not a problem. Uh, and I can close with that. But, uh, but I just want to start a little bit uh, just to tell you what's going on in Romania. Since the team was there, uh, we got kicked out of yet another meeting place. It seems to be a tradition for us. And um, as we were looking for a place, um, we rented a big house. Uh, twice for a ministry center and somehow God just kept pushing us back there again and uh, it was sold to the man next door who's a multi-millionaire and we approached him and he dropped the price in half for us because he remembered us being his neighbors and he liked us he had an offer of a thousand dollars more per month but he turned it down because he didn't like the people uh, when we went to look at it it turned out they had taken everything out all the furniture the kitchens the mirrors the sinks everything and when we looked at it, it was much worse than what we anticipated. But while we were looking, the Lord said, you have to come here. So we took a step of faith. We cleaned out all of the church account. And then I charged about $3,700 just for appliances and things. And I'm trusting the Lord. But, uh, but since we took that step, uh, God's done nothing but increase the depth of the work in the church. Amen. So I, uh, I can stand to believe God for some debt when, when we see what he's doing there. One of the big things he's been focusing, <clears throat> focusing with us is that... Uh, in the midst of all the struggle and the sickness and the battle, uh, all the things that we haven't seen break through, that, uh, you know, when Jesus came and, and he knew what he was doing from the time he got here, he knew where he was headed. He told his disciples, they didn't get it, but he got it. He said, the son of man's going to go, he's going to be delivered, he's going to be killed, but on the third day he's going to raise again. He knew he was coming to die. He knew what kind of death he was going to die. But when you read in Hebrews, it tells you that for the joy set before him, he was able to endure Amen. everything that was coming. You know, the, the rejection of his own creation, uh, the rejection of his own called out nation, the abuse of the religious leaders, the abuse of the Roman guards, the breaking of his body, the, uh, the nailing to the cross, the shedding of his blood, the being forsaken by his father, which, which actually, if you ever saw the passion, you know, it's painful. The most painful part of that movie for me was after, after they've ripped his back apart when that Roman soldier just did this. And I'm like, no, I, I can't watch that anymore. I can't take this. This is too much. But I realized that's nothing 
compared to the pain of being forsaken by his father who he'd never been separated from. You know, I'm determined, we'll never understand the depth of the pain that Jesus went through and he knew that he was going to face this. But for the joy set before him, he was able to endure it. And the Lord has really called us to focus not on the suffering and not on the sickness and not on the financial difficulties, but to focus on the words that the Lord's given us and the joy that's coming. And as we've done that and we've picked up this verse, the joy of the Lord is our strength. You know, the Bible tells us that in his presence is fullness of joy and that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so I'm determined if you're a joyless Christian, it's because you're not in his presence. It's not on God. It's on us. Because if we get in his presence, there's a fullness of joy. And we had a pushback prayer meeting the Monday before I left. And at the very end, the Lord just said, you've got to declare that. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And I just started shouting it over and over and over again. I haven't had my voice since then. But as I did, people who were broken, people who were lukewarm, people who had been just in and out and half-hearted, just burst out in laughter. Embarrassing, stupid, howling laughter, falling down in pain. And all you had to do was go touch them and say, Lord, give them more. And it was just, whoa, whoa, whoa. So God's doing some incredible things. And it's as we're focusing on what it is that he has for us and not what we're going through is what's making the difference. Because so many Christians think what I'm going through is my cross to bear. I'm just going to deal with the suffering that I'm called to. But if you just focus there, you're going to fail. You're never going to make it by trying to endure suffering. The only way you're going to endure the suffering is if you focus on the joy that's set before you. And I just want to encourage you with that, that you need to recognize tonight the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nothing else is going to bring you the strength that you need to endure the sickness and the struggle and the pain and all of the things that life's bringing against you. You've got to get a grip on the fact that in His presence, there's joy. And when you find His joy, it'll bring strength to your life. Um, You know, I don't know what's with the laughter thing. And I used to be very, very against it. I don't know if I told you all about that, but I was at the Bible school. This Dutch guy comes and, you know, this starts in the school. And I'm standing there saying, you know, well, Lord, we're not going to have this. We're going to have order. The Lord said, you can have your order. You can have my move of the spirit you've been praying for. Decide what you want. And inside, I'm like, well, I really do want order, but I'm not stupid enough to tell you that. So let's just go ahead and have what you have. And then two nights later, it happened again. And this guy comes over and starts praying for me. And I got this stupid feeling in my stomach. And then I got this silly grin coming on my face. And I said to the Lord, you can do this with the students, but I'm the director of this school. And I have an image and a reputation to uphold. And I will not. And that's as far as I got. Boom. And, you know, the Lord didn't give me a normal laugh. I had to howl like a hyena. And... As I'm laying there, the Dutch guy keeps going, more, more. And it just, you know, to the point that it hurt and I couldn't breathe. And I'm like, you have to stop. I can't breathe. When I open my eyes, the students have their digital cameras and phones out and they're filming and (laughs) taking pictures. So I've been humbled ever since. I lost all the dignity of the pulpit. But I want to tell you, it's one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. As a former former party guy, big drinker, big ecstasy user, I can tell you that when I got up, what I felt like was I was on ecstasy without the side effects. It was just all the pressure, all the tension. All of the weight was just released. And I don't know why God uses laughter, but I can tell you that I'm glad that he does. And I'm not here to talk about laughter tonight. I'm just encouraging you. You know, joy has a sign. You know that song, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where down in my... You know how they're asking where because they can't see it on you. If your joy joy is so deep that no one can see it, my God, there's something wrong with you. I don't want a joy that's so deep no one can see it. I I want joy inexpressible. I want joy unspeakable. I want the kind of joy that brings strength and release and life and liberty, no matter what I'm feeling, no matter what I'm going through, because that's something from within. 
And it happens from the inside out. And when it comes from the inside out, you can have respiratory infection, you can have asthmatic spasms, and you can be sick as a dog, but there's just something in you that's still passionate, something that's still alive, something that's still vibrant, something that causes you to want to drive four and a half hours to a church to spend time with people you love and to preach to people, not because I like to preach, but because there's just always an energy here and there's always a hunger and receptiveness. I just enjoy preaching here. Amen. It's like preaching at my church, except y'all laugh at my jokes sometimes, and they don't do that back home. <laughs> but uh, in the midst of that, God's doing some interesting things, though, because here's all this joy coming, but what I also see the Lord is He's dealing with some deep pain. Uh, Romania is a country that's just filled with pain. What I didn't realize is that He sent an American pastor to Romania who was also filled with pain, because He had touched my pain in the past, and I thought that I was delivered. But you, I don't know if y'all are familiar with this, but if you go through enough disappointment and enough discouragement, and enough times where you come so close to seeing the things that God said and then they don't seem to come through, there can come a lot of heaviness, and there can come a lot of pain. And I was uh, talking with Radu one day on his balcony. For those of you who know Radu, he's my associate pastor, and he's the Jonathan of my life. Um, he's the kind of relationship that everybody wishes that they could have, but most people don't. And as we were talking... Uh, I mean, you know me, I'm quite emotional, you can see that, and I'm just, I blubber all the time. Uh, no, I'm quite dignified with my emotions, actually, but as he's praying, God began to touch on something, and all this pain just began to come up. And I find myself on a balcony with my head in the lap of my associate pastor, grabbing on to the back of his coat with these groanings and rushes and just, I mean, crying like a baby. And all this stuff kept coming out. And finally, when it came down to the end, what happened is the Lord showed me that 90% of my heart was given to him. But there was this 10% down there that had these seeds. And the enemy kept touching on those. And it was bringing these reactions that I didn't like. Frustration was coming out and agitation was coming out. And it tends to be directed at the people that you're closest to. Yeah. And for me, that's what I do. So he was getting the brunt of it without me knowing it. But here he is dealing with all of this. And, and as it came down to it, I finally looked up and I said, you know, this, this man of faith, is full of doubt. And the Lord dealt with that. And after he dealt with that, he said, you know, now you, you need to go to Radu because now that I got all the pain out of you, you're going to have to deal with what you put in him. And I had to go to him and repent for all of, I mean, I, you know, I had no idea how proud and selfish I was. I thought I was a pretty good guy, but I'm finding out some things. It, it's not me that's good. It's him that's good in me. Amen. It, it's not me that's strong. It's him that's strong in me. Amen. And Eric talks about the great work he's doing and the people he's raising up. And I say, praise God, he's doing it in spite of me. I understand he's doing it through me, but he's doing it in spite of my nature and in spite of who I am. But it was really wonderful because as I, I, I hoped it was going to touch Radu, I said, I hope this is going to help you. Well, uh, turned out, you know, Radu is a man who's, uh, whose father abandoned the family when he was two years old. His own mother rejected him because of the position he's taken in the Lord. His wife's parents uh, despised him because he took a stand for his wife and separated from the control of the family. And then he was blessed to have a pastor and spiritual father come over to add to that pain. But when you humble yourself and you begin to deal with these things, what's so awesome with God is people don't hold on to the pain. He just builds the love and he increases the yes. unity. Yes. And, he, and, he, and he develops this oneness that just goes beyond anything that's natural. So... In all of that, in all of my pride, and all of my selfishness, all of my pain being revealed, it brought healing to me. It brought healing to him, and it's released something so different in the church. So <clears throat> I have this thing I want to talk to you about, about the oneness that God wants to develop in the body. And just, I want to challenge you to receive it. But as you receive it, I want to challenge you to do it on more than an intellectual level. Because I think all of us in the world that we live in deal with pain. 
We all deal with disappointment. We all deal with broken relationship. And and I notice in my family, what we say is, well, I'm over that. That's no big deal. I'm not hurt by that. But it's really just a mask. We carry the pain and we don't want to deal with it because to deal with it, you have to let it be touched. And if it gets touched, you're going to have to face it. And if you face it, it might get released. And it was funny because as I was sharing this in church on Sunday, Roger was translating and he, he starts to burst out in tears because I'm sharing about the pain I caused him, what God's doing. And he's having a hard time translating, but it's just, that's how God is, you know. He just comes at the right moment and begins to touch it. And if you'll humble yourself and let him, he'll bring a release to your life that'll just change everything. And he'll have a way of bringing you together in a oneness that you didn't know was possible in spite of the pain and in spite of the failures and in spite of the difficulties and in spite of the circumstances. And these are the things that make me love God. I don't love God because he wants to bless me. I don't love God because he, I'm so valuable that he gave his life. I love God because in spite of me, he's still so good. I love God that in spite of all my failures and all my faults, he still, he still uses my life with his grand opportunity. And, and then I, I come here, not here, but here to the States, and I see such a man-centered Christianity. And we have so much value, and God wants so much for us that it's like we're entitled, you know? I mean, I know most Christians are conservatives, and I'm not here to take a political stand, but most Christians that I know are conservatives. And if you're conservative, you tend to lean to the Republican side. But when it comes to God, we act like Democrats. We act like we're entitled. I shouldn't have to do anything, but I'm entitled to receive all the good things God has for me, and there's no responsibility on my part. I'm just like, that's just such a load of crap. Uh, garbage. <laughs> Sorry, my church, I say the... Matthew say, still I, says that. Oh, I say crap in church. Well, you know, when something is crap, it's crap. I mean, that's what Paul said. When he said, I counted all as loss, he basically said, I counted all as dung. I counted all as crap. You know, sometimes it takes strong language for people to get the point. But I want to talk to you about uh, this oneness because... <clears throat> excuse me, please pardon my voice. But because if if you can just... If you can just lay down your life, if you can lay down your agendas and and you can lay down all of those desires that you have and really surrender yourself to Jesus Christ, he has so much more for you. He doesn't have a better you or a better life for you. He has a different life to give you. But you're never going to find it if you're holding on to things of your own life. And and I was just, I was thinking about this when Radu and I talked today. He said some things and he focused our Wednesday night service, which was eight hours ago, he was focusing in on healing and deliverance, especially the inner healing aspect. And he had a big breakthrough with a couple of the guys, which I was so glad to hear because these are the guys, you know, you pray for people sometimes and it's so open and they're so receiving, but then there's people you touch them and it's like you just put your hand on a dead wall or on a, on a tombstone or something, you know. And these were two of the guys that just had a radical breakthrough tonight. And he was talking to me about the seven sons of Sceva. You know, these guys come and they say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the demons are like, hey, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but... But who are you? You know, they knew about Jesus, but they had no power, no effect for his kingdom because knowing about Jesus isn't the same thing as coming to Jesus, as surrendering to Jesus, as being with Jesus. And you've got these guys actually trying to do ministry and deliver people in the name of Jesus that get their their behinds kicked by demons. But then you have a demoniac who's chained to the tombs who can break free from chains and torment and terrorize everybody. But this guy, when he decided he wanted to come to Jesus, got complete freedom. And the truth, listen, he whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And Jesus has freedom for you. It's not just, I I think too many of us are caught up in what the Lord, the purpose God has for me, the ministry God has for me. And I just want to tell you to lay all that aside. That's all secondary to coming to him, to being with him, to knowing with him, because just trying to do things for him isn't going to produce what you want. It might actually bring destruction in your life. 
But if you're the most demonized person in this church and you'll come to Jesus tonight, he will make you free. Amen. And it'll be such a radical transformation that everybody's going to see it. Everybody's going to, you'll have a ministry that glorifies God just because you got free, not because you went and tried to do something for the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, I really like, uh, I think it's Psalm 139. If you read it in the, me thank you. If you read it in the message version, it is so cool because it talks about how when, when I was pushed back against a wall and when I was on the edge of a cliff, how God came and he rescued me. And then it goes through several verses after that, that after God rescued me, in the name of my God, I rubbed my enemy's face in the dirt. And then it says something else. It says, in the name of my God, I rubbed my enemy's face in the dirt. And in the name of my, and I'm like, yeah, Lord, I want to rub my enemy's face in the dirt in your name. Because the Bible tells us that by my God, I can run up against a troop. I can leap over a wall. There is power in Jesus Christ. There is a power to overcome every obstacle, every circumstance, but it's going to have to be something that's done together as one. One association, one life, one family, one nation, one church, one body. You know, all of these things about God keep coming back to one. And if we don't get away from being the one and entering into it, being a part of the one that God wants to create, we're going to miss out on his purpose. Amen. We're going to miss out on the glory of his kingdom. And I tell you what, I'm not in this to miss out on the glory of God. I didn't leave what I left just to hang around with a different group of people. God took me out of something to bring me into something different. Yes. And that something different was to see a kingdom that could really be established in this earth through a people that would surrender themselves to Jesus Christ and allow him to make them one body. That Jesus prayed, Father, make them one just as we are one. And he meant it. Jesus wasn't just saying some nonsensical prayer or putting some hope out there or something to encourage us. He really wants us to be one just as he and the Father are one. So I want to kind of look at this oneness of God, if that's okay with you. Please. Um, I'd like to do it with a voice that doesn't irritate you, and I'll try my best. Now, here's how this message came. I got the Revelation study from uh, Pastor Eric, and we said, okay, we're going to start going through the book of Revelation, and uh, sat down and started studying it. I've done three lessons on that, a couple of hours each, and I've done all of those two hours. I've done six hours of teaching from 42 minutes of Pastor Eric's first message. <laughs> That's just how it's been. I can't get very far. But what happened was one night as I'm going through it, he talked about the menorah. And I said, okay, now I've got a choice. I either get this thing ready and I go repeat Eric's words to everybody, or I take something, the menorah, that I know was an instrument in the temple. And that's all I know about the menorah. And I find out what it is. So I started studying on the menorah. So I got two minutes into his message that night. And then I started studying about the menorah and I discovered some things. And I'm going to start in Revelation 1 verses 4 and 5 where uh, he says, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, first thing that strikes me is it's not just Holy Spirit, but it's the seven spirits of God. Yes. And y'all probably already know this whole thing about sevens, you know, but this is really new for us right now. I mean, we're blown away. Every, you're going through all these sevens, and then I start watching some Chuck Missler teachings, and it's like every seventh number. And if you go 49, you divide those by sevens, and, and how you know Torah is spelled forwards in two books, backwards in two books, and they point to Yeshua, and I'm just like, what is it with you and sevens, God? There's just, you, you love them. There's something really just phenomenal about this. And I, I never knew this. I never knew it was all through Scripture like that. So I see this, and I see the seven spirits of God. I was like, okay, well, what's that about? And then in Isaiah 11, it gives seven names of the, uh, or attributes to this spirit. 
And I like what you said. So we get caught up in three in one and we have all kinds of debates over it. But here you've got God and the Jews who seem to be got, get caught up in seven. So it should be even more confusing than it is. And then if you take the menorah, the lamp of God as an example, it was formed from one piece of pure hammered gold that weighed almost 100 pounds, okay? But it had seven branches. And those seven branches had seven lamps. Uh, you remember seeing seven golden lampstands anywhere else in the Bible? You just read the verse tonight. <coughs> and it also had nine flower blooms and it had 11 fruits and it had 22 cups, okay? And the down in Ezekiel 25 verse 36 it says that their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece. All of it shall be one hammered piece of pure gold. And the word hammered there comes from the Hebrew word for difficult. And according to the Midrash, which I found out is rabbinical teaching, uh, is that right? I know that there's a more detailed description, but to be simple, the, 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 they, they said that the method for constructing the menorah was difficult for Moses to understand. And so you've got this difficult piece of gold that's difficult to understand, uh, but also according to the rabbinical teaching, the menorah itself is said to reveal the light of the Torah. Seven lampstands, 22 fruits, uh, 11 flower blooms, is that right? But it all comes up to one light. And something just began to catch me here, and I'm like, Lord, there's a lot of multiple things that are coming into one thing. Uh, the, these, these 49 different things, when they're all put together, there's 49. Again, divisible by seven. And the seven branches, it's called the 49 gates of the Torah. And the seven branches represent the, seven, the first seven words or the first verse of Genesis. And the 11 fruits represent the first 11 words of Exodus 1.1. The nine flowers represent the nine words of Leviticus 1.1. And the 22 cups represent the 22 words of Deuteronomy 1.1. And then you have 7 plus 11 plus 9 plus 22, which equals 49. 49 separate and distinct things that all create one light. Amen. And then that makes me think of the Shema. Shema Israel. Uh, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Now, there's two words for one in the biblical Hebrew. The first one is echad, which is used right here. And it means one, and it means alone, but it means unity from parts. And this is the name that God chose to reveal himself to his people. He could have chosen the other word, which was yahid, which, which always means uniqueness, solitary, only one of its kind. But God didn't choose that. God showed up and specifically said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is echad, one, a plural unity. So I want to look at some other passages in which the word echad is used just to show you a pattern here, what God uses for a plurality, a plurality that comes into one. In Genesis 2.24, it says the man and his wife will be one echad flesh, a composite unity, right? Now, I'm determined that God is not an exaggerator and that he doesn't, he's not loose with his words. There's a, and when the Lord takes... Two, and he says the two are going to become one flesh, I believe he actually means that the two become one flesh. And so when you look, you're looking at Mr. and Mrs. Eric Stevens. You're not looking at two separate individuals. Now, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is full of division, full of sin, full of disunity, full of disharmony. It's very hard for us to understand perfect unity. And that's our problem when it comes to trying to explain the Trinity or the seven spirits of God or how the, 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 the three can be really one 
in essence, one being that we call God, it's like it blows the human mind. And because we try to put God in our little mental box, we try to explain, you know, we've got every explanation. Well, I can be a son, I can be a father, I can be a... But that's not how it is because I can't say, you know, Dennis sent me and I'm here, but now I'm going to go back to Dennis and it's good if I go back to Dennis because if I go back to Dennis, he's going to send another helper who's going to... That doesn't make sense if it's all one and the same. There has to be some kind of composite unity. There has to be a plurality that's making this oneness if it's going to function in three separate distinct ways like that. Exodus 26, verses 6 and 11, you've got uh, the 50 gold clasps that are used to hold the curtains together uh, so that the tent or the tabernacle would be a unit, echad. So you've got 50 pieces that are all put together to make this one singular unit, right? And then in 2 Samuel 2, 25, it says that many soldiers made themselves into one group, one echad group. Genesis 34, 16, the men of Shechem suggest intermarriage with Jacob's children in order to become one Echad people. Joshua 9, 2, the Western kings agreed to fight Joshua as one Echad force. Exodus 24, 3, then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances, and all the people answered with one Echad voice. I'm going to try not to cough, okay? Second Chronicles 5.12, and the Levitical singers, Ashoph, Heman, Jeduthum, and their sons, and kinsmen clothed in fine linen, with cymbals, with harps, with lyres, standing east of the altar, and with them 120 priests blowing trumpets in unison when the trumpeters and the singers were to make themselves heard with one echad voice to praise and to glorify the Lord. Genesis 11.6, and the Lord said, behold, they are one echad people, and they all have the same language. So you, you can see pretty clearly just from that how Echad allows for a plurality within a strict unity. For example, the Trinity, right? Yes. Now remember that Jesus prayed in John 17, 21, what I just said, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. And in verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but one. Seven spirits of God, but one spirit. Many members, but one body. And just as the design of the menorah was difficult for Moses to understand, so the mystery of the Godhead is difficult for us to understand too. That's why it's called a mystery. If I could figure it out, I, want, I don't want that God. If he looks at us and he says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts, so are my ways higher than your ways. If he says that, but then I've got a God that I can totally figure out, I've got a real problem. I've got a faith that I can't really trust in because suddenly there's no more mystery with God if I can explain everything. I don't know if this is speaking much to you, but this spoke a lot to me whenever I was uh, first getting it. See, sometimes I don't know if I'm just so deep that you're having to soak it in or if this is I'm the only one that it's really speaking to. But I'm just going to trust by the looks on your faces that this is just deep and you're just soaking it in. And that it's really, because it makes me feel better about coming absolutely with a word for your church. It was for at least one of us. Hallelujah. Okay. And so the idea of many individual distinct human beings being made perfect, one is difficult uh, and even difficult to understand, but this is the ultimate purpose of God for his people. Yes. Hear, O Israel. 
the Lord thy God, the Lord is one echad, a plurality that makes up one. Now this brings me to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, where he says, talks about walking in unity. So he writes, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, there's one Spirit. Wait, really? I thought there were seven. One body, one Spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. How many? There's even seven of those. Right there in that same verse. Who is above all and through all and in you all. One who is somehow in many, who wants to take those many and somehow make one. See, this just blows my mind because this is not normal human thinking. This isn't even normal modern church thinking. The reason that I bring this up is because there's a common problem from the time I was at Christ for the Nations as a student to the time that I taught in the Christ for Nations in Romania as an instructor and from the time we started the church. I see Christianity filled with people who are seeking their individual calling, their distinct anointing, their personal agenda, the purpose that God has for them in their life. And so what I see is instead of people wanting to to come together as one, everyone wants to be the one. And this is not how God designed it. This breaks apart churches. This breaks apart marriages. It breaks apart the unity in the Christian body because we've been deluded. We've been deceived into thinking that when God talks to When it says you, we actually think it's just saying you. And he's saying you. For you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's not talking to one. You're not the temple of the Holy Spirit. For we as living stones are being built up together into one spiritual house by one master builder who lays each and every stone exactly where he wants it to be, who takes every part and makes it exactly what he wants it to be. Look, you may not want to be a big toe, but the body can't walk very well if it doesn't have a big toe. And if you're called to be a big toe, be the best big toe you can be. You know, everybody, you know, everybody wants a beautiful house. Every beautiful house needs a commode. Who wants to be the toilet? Nobody. But how good is a house going to be without a toilet? It's not going to function very well, you know? And even in the whole idea of unity, everybody says, well, let's, you know, we've got to join together. We've all got to walk together. We've all got to be together. How can two walk together if they don't agree? If there's a church in the city that I just can't agree with and walk with, then bless you to be the best part of the body you can be and bless us to be the best part of the body we can be. Because, you know, if your church is a foot and my church is the back, we don't necessarily need to be connected to be healthy because that's not going to come on. Let's be joined. I don't want to be joined like that. I want each part and each joint to be fit right where it's supposed to be so that the whole body can function as a whole. My brain and my big toe may never touch. But as long as they'll serve their purpose and be connected where they're supposed to be, the body's going to be healthy and it's going to be able to function the way that it needs to function. See, we've got to change our concept of one. We've got to change our mentality of unity because otherwise we're just going to continue down the divisive path of selfish agendas, of people seeking their your ministry. Really? What's your ministry that God called you to? I'll tell you what your ministry is. Your ministry is to be called to be a part of the body and to function in the place as a living stone that God put you wherever that is and whatever that means so that the body can be healthy, that the glory of God can be seen through that body and people can come out of darkness and into the light of the kingdom of the Son of His love. That is your sole purpose in life. Everything else is secondary. 
If you're called to be a pastor, great. If you're called to be a janitor, great. Just be the best pastor, be the best janitor that you can be so that the body can function and be whole. I didn't really plan on saying this, but I just, I really feel, I hope this is for someone here, but you really need to get over yourself. You're not that great. In fact, you're an utter failure and you're totally depraved apart from Jesus Christ. And if you'll just, if you'll come to that realization, anybody here ever struggle with the spirit of failure? I used to walk under a spirit of failure until God finally showed up in me and said, just get over it, son. You are a failure. You were hopelessly and desperately lost. You know, you weren't just a little off track and I had to nudge you back where you needed to go. You were so hopelessly lost and depraved. I had to send my own son to die at the hands of his own creation, to shed his blood and be resurrected from the dead to give you a new life because your life was so utterly destroyed there was no hope for you. And when I look at it that way, I have a whole new appreciation for God and I have a whole lot less concern about my failure. Jesus didn't need to come if we weren't failures. I hope that helps you. You are a failure. Praise the Lord because you, <laughs> praise the Lord because you were a failure. He sent his son. Yes. Yes. And now you get an exchange of life. Amen. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. I was buried with him in death, in baptism, but I was resurrected with him in a new life that he's given me. See, this is the great news of the gospel. Not that God came to bless you and make you a better you. He came that the old you could die so that a new life could be raised up in you and could be released for His glory. And it's a much better way to live. That's, that, that's when you can stand up with a respiratory infection for the third time in four months. And you can still be filled with joy and filled with passion about Jesus Christ. Because it's not about who I am or what I'm feeling. It's about who He is in me. Amen. And it's about what He wants to do to make me a part of this body. To, to, to function whatever purpose it is. I'm, I'm glad I get to stand up and talk to you. Because I like to talk. I like to preach. I like to share what God's doing in my life. But it's a part of the anointing and the calling that He gave me. But can't you just get comfortable with what He's given you to do? Isn't there a mission field out there to be reached? Isn't there a life to be touched? Isn't there a family to be saved? I mean, doesn't this nation need help? Five of you think the nation needs help. Everyone else is blessed in our current conditions. Uh, Praise the Lord, you know. Deception accommodates itself in the mind, huh? Where did I get to? I'm sorry. I didn't get to verse 11 yet, did I? Am I okay? No, you're doing great. Oh, good. I'm so glad to hear that. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, plural, for the work of the ministry, singular, for the edifying of the one body of Christ till we come to the unity of the one faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Now listen to what it says. Till we come to be a perfect man. We become a perfect man. We become one man. We become one body to the measure of the stature of the fullness of the one Jesus Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole one body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective work, uh, working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the one body for the edifying of itself, one in love, right? This is what he's talking about. It's not about me and my individual purpose and me being a singular temple out there doing something for the glory of God. It's about me being fit together to do what my part supplies for the good of this one body. It just, it's just, it's beyond our natural thinking. 
That's why we need a revelation. We need the Lord to come and deliver us. I had an instructor at CFNA who used to say, listen, God got you out of Egypt, but he needs to get the Egypt out of you. The problem is too many of us are still sitting here with selfish ideas and selfish agendas. And I'm not saying it's intentional, okay? We've been taught this our whole life, our individual uniqueness, how, how Jesus valued us so much that if it were just you, he would have died for you. And I'm not denying that's true, but that's not really what it's about. What it's really about is a God who loved his humanity enough that instead of just wiping the slate clean and starting over, he was willing to do whatever it took to create a way for us to come back together as one in him. And that's still his purpose. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We've changed. Culture's changed. God has never changed. He still has one plan, one purpose, and we need to come into that one thing that he wants to do. John 17, 21 again. I've really been fast tonight. This is good. That was my goal. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one Echad. It's a perfect unity making many one Echad. A plural unity is what God's trying to do. That's the mystery of the Godhead, and by His supernatural work, that's what He wants to make you and me, to be many people in perfect unity, becoming one body and expressing one light to the world. Amen. That's what it's all about. And even with marriage, when it talks about the two becoming one flesh, he says, you know, this is a mystery, but you know what I'm really talking about? I'm talking about Jesus Christ and the church. He's trying to give that, he's trying to give something we can understand a little bit to tell us that this is what it's really about. That's when people say, Dennis, when are you going to get married? I'm like, I am married. I married a man. <laughs> I'm married to Jesus Christ. If he gives me a wife on earth, great. But you know, I've already been made one with somebody. It's not good that man be alone. God didn't leave me alone. He filled me with his presence, with his spirit. He gave me identity. He gave me a husband who's a, who's a, a good lover, who's intimate with me, who's protective of me, who's leading me, who's counseling me, who's working in my life to better me. And, and that, that, that's the whole mystery of, of this oneness, that Jesus wants to come and make us so one in him that just as a head with a bunch of parts connected to it makes a body, that that's exactly what we are. One head with a bunch of joined together parts that somehow each functioning in many different ways takes all this plurality, but yet makes this singular unity that the world can see the glory and the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. They don't need the glory of man. I mean, Paul even says it. You know what he says in Corinthians? He says, God chooses the base things, the low things, the weak things, the despised things, the things that are not to confound the things that are so that he who glories, he who boasts, let him boast and let him glory in the Lord. Amen. And I want to see the Lord make us so much as one that everything we do can do nothing but boast in Him because I've got a church of about 45 or 50 adults. There is no reason we should be together. There's no reason we should even like each other. We have nothing in common. And I'm not just talking about me and the American culture. I mean, we've got an ex-hippie biker. We've got people who come from Pentecostal churches. We've got people who are Baptists. We've got people who were heathen. We've got people who are intellectual. We've got people, honestly, that aren't so bright. Uh, I mean, really, it's, it's just that, but, but there's something that brings us together with a deep love and a deep understanding that we, we, we like to be around each other. Yes. We want to be together. We want to be functioning together. And it's just something supernatural about God taking many different, odd, unique things and putting them together to make this one revelation Amen. of the glory of Jesus Christ to the world. Now, 
this is where it makes a little strange shift here because I've had this message I wanted to share with you all for a long time on the breath. And I never seem to get to it, but it seems to make for a good closing tonight. Because when you look through Genesis all the way to Revelation, which I'm not going to you know, start reading from Genesis to Revelation. I'm just going to highlight some things here. But when you look back in Genesis and you see where it says God took man and he formed him from the dust of the ground, okay? And so here he's got this body that he's created. And it says, but until God breathed the breath of life in him, then man became a living soul. Now, everything was fashioned. Everything was put together. And I'm sure if you looked at it, it looked good. But there was no life there until God came and breathed into it. And then that can take you to Ezekiel, where he's there at the Valley of the Dry Bones. And the Lord asked him, can these bones live? And Ezekiel was much more humble than the rest of his charismatics. Who He said, Lord, only you know. And so the Lord tells him, well, prophesy. So he prophesies to the bones, and they start rattling. Interesting thing, too. Lots of bones rattle, but they all come together. And then as they come together and he prophesies, well, they begin to grow, you know, muscles and tendons and joints and they get connected and flesh is put on it, you know. And so, so here's this thing that's all brought together and it's all formed together. But then what does God tell him? He says, now prophesy the breath of life. And when he prophesied the breath of life, then what God, had, what had come together raised up as an exceedingly great army for the Lord. Then you go to Jesus when he's talking with his disciples and he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then a little later in Acts chapter 2, what do you see happen? You see the breath of God come in a very mighty way. As they're all together, they're all together, right? In one place, in what? In one accord. Then came a rushing mighty wind. As Eric would point out, that would be the breath of God. That also came like divided tongues of fire resting on each one. And then there was this release and this manifestation of the body of Jesus Christ in power, revealing the glory and having this great impact on the city around them. I mean, they always say churches are healthier if they grow slow. But I don't know what you do with Peter's preaching then. Because Peter would preach in a mega church would happen in a day. And then he would preach just a few weeks later and 5,000 more would get saved and get added to the church because the breath of life had come into God's people when they were in one place, in one accord, in unity. And then if you go all the way to the book of Revelation, you've got the two witnesses. You know, and they're tormenting everybody at the end time and they're sick of them. And finally they have the ability to overcome them and they're dead and they're laying there for three days and people are scoffing and mocking at their bodies. And it says, then the breath of life came into them Amen. and they were resurrected. There is something that no matter what you try to put together, no matter what you do, no matter what method, no matter what form, no matter what church growth pattern, Nothing that we put together is ever going to be good enough. You can't form this unity on your own. This isn't something that we can just decide to come together and play a game of getting along. This is something that's going to have to take a revelation from the heart of God that causes us to see that we may be able to prophesy. We may be able to join together. We may be able to be formed this thing that, that we call life-changing uh, ministries and fellowship, the church. But until the breath of God is breathed into it, there's really no life. And what I'm trying to share tonight is not something to tickle your emotions to decide that you all want to get along better. I'm believing that somehow God will bring a revelation to you that will cause us to look and say, God, everything that we formed and put together is totally worthless and pointless unless you come and you breathe the breath of life into it. 
But yet there's also this aspect that until it is all brought together, until everything is formed the way that it needs to be formed, there doesn't seem to be that breath of life that can be released. And they're not here, the person that I... Yeah, but that doesn't do much good. Um, I had a word for someone who's not here. I don't know if there's any point in giving a word to someone who's not here. Well, let me just throw the notes aside now and just tell you what's on my heart. Please hear me that I'm not being critical, okay? I'll just go back to the fact that we live in a fallen world. We're all tainted by our past formation. We're all tainted by the cultural concepts and the modern church concepts. My only desire, I'm not trying to rebuke you. I'm not trying to criticize you. The reason I shared what I shared in the beginning about what happened with me and Radu was so that you would understand. It doesn't matter who we are or what position we've attained or how much God has used us. Until the day that Jesus Christ arrives, there's work to be done in our hearts. Until the day that Jesus Christ arrives, David even prayed, a man after God's own heart, he said, Lord, search me. Search my heart and try me. See if there's any wicked way. See if there's any anxious way. See if there's any way of pain within me. Because those things are going to get in the way of us being able to form into this echad that God wants to form us into. You know, how much military training does it take before a troop of men become actually one unit? They go through rigorous training. They go through a lot of pain. They go through a lot of difficulty. They go through a lot of pressure. Uh, anyone felt any of that in their life since they became a Christian? Yes. The Lord's using that to form you. I know we like to be encouraged with the thing about God wants to bless you. He wants to touch you and come up and get healed. But I want to tell you, the pressure, the pain, the circumstances, you know, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens his friend. It takes friction. It takes difficulty. It takes pressure. Don't look at the potter and say, why are you doing this with me? Amen. Understand that God, what is it? We are His workmanship created for good works in Christ Jesus that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, right? The word for workmanship, the Greek word, I believe is poema. And it means a design that is manufactured for a purpose by an artisan. Now, you take an artisan, and let's just use an artist, for example. Take, take a, uh, a great sculptor, and he's got this piece of marble or this granite, you know, this really hard rock. Has no form, has no shape, but he's got a vision for it. Well, what does he do? Does he talk softly to the stone? Does he kiss it and rub on it and make it feel good and say, you're so beautiful, you're so valuable, and, and you, just keep be, you just keep being what you are, and one day you're just going to be wonderful. You're going to be a great... No. He takes a hammer... <laughs> and he takes a chisel and he starts whacking away at that thing, you know, and he starts busting pieces off of it all over the place. I mean, this is you. In case you didn't know this, you're the stone. God is the sculptor. And so he comes at you with this hammer and this chisel. And he just starts, you know, putting blows on you. And you're like, God, what are you doing? What are you doing to me? I thought you loved me. Why are you doing? Lord, I thought you cared about me. I, I, I thought you wanted me blessed and prosperous. I thought you wanted me healthy. I, I thought you had these great plans for my life. You know, and God's like, I do. But this is what it takes to make out of you what I want to make out of you. And if you can just surrender, if you can just lay your life down on the altar of God, 
which is your reasonable sacrifice, by the way, and not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and allow the sculptor, allow the potter, allow him to apply the pressure, allow him to turn up the heat, allow him to take the hammer and chisel and do what he wants to do, what you're going to find is one day you're going to look in your spiritual mirror and say, this was worth it. Amen. Because I'm no longer just a slab of granite. I'm now, uh, I'm now a, a David, you know? <laughs> a Venus or whatever it is that you want to be. But God will make something beautiful out of you. God is making something beautiful out of you. You may not see it today. You know, some of us are farther along in the process, and this isn't a comparison. I've been walking with the Lord now for over 21 years there's a good chance that I might be further along in the process than some of you that have been walking with the Lord for two or three years. Uh, when I was saved two or three years, I asked the guy that led me to the Lord, when does it get easier? He said, I'll tell you. I said, tell me. He said, no, I mean, I'll tell you. I'll tell you when I know. Because God just keeps hammering. He keeps chiseling. He keeps shaping. He keeps forming. He keeps turning up the heat to get out the impurities, you know. And you think you have this great experience of freedom. And then 21 years later, you find yourself crying in the lap of your associate pastor who you've caused a lot of pain to, and you see God delivering and healing you from more and more. And you find out that you, you've been a great man of faith, but you find out that ultimately there's a doubt that's causing you to be disappointed with God. And it's creating this intense pain, and it's causing you to react in ways that are creating pain in other people's life. But you'll find as you humble yourself, God heals you, and God works on you. And as you go and repent to those that you've wounded, God restores relationships, and He takes them even deeper than they were before. And you start looking and you say, God, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. Every blow, every time you had to put me in the furnace, every time you turned up the heat, every time you were doing things I didn't understand. You know, when I looked in the mirror and there was only half a head and the rest of this was still a block of marble and I didn't get it, you knew what you were doing. You knew what you were doing. And I want to tell you tonight what Nehemiah said to those people. He said, don't be discouraged. Don't be depressed. This is a day of rejoicing because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And if you can just get a hold of the joy that's set before you, God is forming something. God has a greater purpose. What you're going through, it's not for nothing. I really feel like that's for someone tonight. What you're going through is not for nothing. God knows what he's doing. It's really, really good. I didn't say it feels good. It's a really, really good work. And the days that we're facing, guys, if you read the news, if you know anything about history, these are not the day. Now, I hope a revival comes. I hope God gives us a godly leader. I hope that something turns around in our nation. But even if nothing changes politically, if nothing changes culturally, God is dividing the light from the darkness. Yes. Yes. And when he divides the light from the darkness, the light is no longer diminished. It's no longer polluted. You know that song, this little light of mine, I want to let it shine. I hate that song. I don't want some little light that I just let shine somewhere. I want the glory of God. I want the glory of God pouring out of me. I want the force of rivers of living water rushing out of me because everything lives where the rivers flow, right? And the river's given for the healing of the nations. This is something that's so more powerful than these little christian songs that we've made. And it's so much better than just this false unity that we try to seek after. It's much better if God prunes the tree and then He makes this healthy bush because... Listen, if you're just a mustard seed, you'll still grow into one of the greatest and mighty bushes that there are. God doesn't need something big. God needs something pure. And he's trying, he's trying to work out a purification process in you. And he's doing the same thing to us in Romania. That's why I say, I'm not rebuking you. I'm telling you that this is the work that God is trying to do. I know you're suffering. There's a joy set before you. There is something good coming through all of this. And I can, I can tangibly feel it. 
I don't know if you do, and I'll try not to get too excited if you're not. But I really, I mean, I really felt like I was supposed to come. I didn't know if I was supposed to preach, even though I absolutely had a word. I just knew that I, I knew, even after two days of being here and being jet-lagged, I said, Eric, now's the time. I need to come now. And now that I'm here, I just hear the Lord telling you, what you're going through is worth it. And you just need to get a grip on the joy that's set before you because that joy is going to be the strength that's going to carry you through the season. Because I don't believe the season's over. I'm not saying it's going to be long and that God's got you in for this extended period of suffering. But I am saying that, that God's put you in the furnace and he's turned up the heat because he's trying to uh, melt the gold to where more of the impurities will surface. I, I believe you're kind of like a, um, you're kind of like a pot that's been formed and it's just been taken out of the kiln and it's cooled down and this beautiful paintwork has been done on it. But it has to be set on the shelf for a while because it has to set. Because if not, that beautiful, it's going to be ruined if hands get put on it too soon. The paint's going to get smeared. The things aren't going to be set. The, it's not going to be as durable as it needs to be to resist chipping and things like this. That's where you are. But you're right where God has you. Amen. You are in the perfect place in the plan of God. And He's working something that in the days ahead is going to be revealed to be more beautiful than what you thought it was going to be. Amen. It's going to, you're, you're going to be more durable than what you feel right now. Right now, you're, you're in that setting place because I don't, I'm not a pottery buff, okay? But I'm talking like when it comes out and it has to set and it has to cure, is that the word? And it kind of gives that strength to the vessel so that it doesn't chip and break. So that's where you are. You, the reason that you feel like you might chip and break easily is because right now you are at a place where you might chip and break easily. But the curing process isn't that long. And when it's done, you're going to be strong and you're going to be beautiful, and you're going to be a vessel that's useful. You're not, 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 a, not an ugly vessel made for wrath, but a beautiful vessel that God has made, Amen. that He can pour the glory, that He can pour the new wine, that He can fill with fresh oil, that's not going to run dry, and that you can pour out, not just to Houston, but in these places where you're planting other churches, and even through what's happening with our connection in Romania, and like you said, maybe even into Eastern Europe, there's a bigger plan in store here. There is a joy set before us as one body that God is going to do something phenomenal with. And if you'll just allow God to get your vision to that, then all of this, you're going to be able to endure it. Because just as Jesus, you're going to say, God, I'm not looking at the suffering. I'm willing to go through this because I see what's coming. Because I really do believe that all things work together for good, for those who love God and are called according, called according to His purpose. So the only question tonight is, do you believe that you love God and that you're called according to His purpose. Yes. Then the suffering is worth it. And God is going to bring something beautiful out of this. The light is going to shine in the darkness. There is going to be revival. People are going to come to know the Lord. He may have to do some pruning and He may have to do some dividing to separate the light. But I want to tell you, be glad for where we are. We could be lost in some compromised mega place where the light's not shining but we're here, Amen. a remnant after the purity of what Jesus Christ wants to do, willing to surrender our lives so that the greater life can be formed in us, so that the glory that is seen is the glory of the Lord and that the boasting we do is only boasting in the Lord. And may it all be for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord, may you make us one as you are one. Us and you and you and us just as you were in the Father. 
Make us an Echad. And make us an Echad for your glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.